big aspect of Serve Your City is how we view people, how we view humanity. And, and week one, that's what we talked about. We talked about how God's heart for humanity is unconditional love. He has grace that's sufficient to cover every lifestyle, to cover every sin, to cover every background. Come on. But I think sometimes we get hung up on things and, and we tend to lose our perspective. And so it's very hard to serve people that we don't have compassion for, right? It's very difficult to do that. What we're gonna do today is we're gonna talk about how we can have eyes to see the need in people's lives and how we can have compassion for people. We're gonna learn from Jesus. We're gonna learn from the apostle Paul. But I believe that whenever we walk out of this room today, if you're watching online, by the time that we get done watching this together, that, uh, that we're gonna be changed a little bit. Our perspective of people, of humanity, will just take one click in the direction of the heart of God for people. And so today, week three, eyes to see. Again, week one was God's heart for humanity. Last week, we talked about discovering your purpose. And this week, it's, it's about having eyes to see. You know, I've been married for 12 years. And uh, today, my wife is actually coming back from a trip in Florida. And so the, for the past three days, um, I've, I've been a single father. <clears throat> and uh, to all of my single parents out there, I would like to say that my heart has grown with compassion for you because my goodness gracious, okay? <laughs> um, me and my wife make a great team. And, uh, but it, it's, it's, been, it's been an experience. It's been good, but it's been an experience. But, but after being married for 12 years, there's one thing, one ability that I have that my wife really appreciates and uh, always brings a lot of humor to our family. And it's the fact that I can't find anything in our house. <laughs> it's impossible, literally impossible. The two main places that I cannot find anything is the pantry and the fridge. It's an impossibility. I will walk up to the fridge. I will open up the door. I'll be like, hey, babe, have you seen that, you know, whatever? It doesn't matter. An apple, milk, it doesn't matter. And she's like, yeah, it's on the second drawer. And I'm like, I don't see it. And she walks up. And something miraculous happens every time. <laughs> she puts her hand out, and whenever she touches it, then I see it. <laughs> Before that moment, it doesn't exist. And I'm convinced it's some sort of dark magic or something. I don't know. <laughs> But uh, it's happened so many times that I don't even apologize for it. I don't e like, we don't even talk about it. It's just, I don't see it. She's like, it's right here. I'm like, oh, cool. And I just grab it and move on with our day. Because uh, for whatever reason in those moments, I don't have eyes to see what's right in front of me. I have, I have good intentions. I'm trying to find it, but I have really bad attention. And come on, with people, we're believers. I'm speaking to, to mostly believers today, okay? We, we have good intentions when it comes to people. We truly wanna treat people like Jesus treats people. We truly wanna love people like, like Jesus loves people. But when it comes to application, for some, for some reason, we, we skip a lot of times. So we have good intentions, but I'm gonna be honest, I don't think that we have the best attention when it comes to people. But Jesus had eyes to see. There's numerous examples of how Jesus would be in a crowd, and he was always in a crowd, people all around, and one time he, uh, there was a woman that was sick, she'd been sick for a very long time, and she reached out through the crowd, and she knew if she just touched Jesus's, the hem of his dark garment, that she'd be healed, and she did that. She reached out, she touched him, and Jesus stopped everything and said, 
you know, something just happened. Somebody touched me. And of course, everybody around him is like, Jesus, look, <laughs> there's hundreds or maybe thousands of people right now. And uh, Jesus said, no, there's somebody that like virtue flowed out of me. I know something, somebody received something. And sure enough, she received her healing. Another time he was walking in a crowd and he looks through the crowd and he sees Levi, the tax collector. There's a hustle and bustle going on, but he sees Levi. He ends up hooking up with Levi and, and Levi's whole life was changed because Jesus saw Levi, he went and he talked to Levi and he reached out to him. He had eyes to see y'all. And we've got to have eyes to see the need in people's life. You see, whenever you have eyes to see, it opens up the door for compassion. But if you don't see people, if you don't see the need, if you don't see them as God sees them, it's not going to open up the doorway to compassion. So we're really talking about cultivating compassion today. Cultivating compassion like Jesus had. And we're going to learn out of Philippians 2 from Paul. What he's doing is he's writing a letter to the church at Philippi. And it was a pretty wealthy city. And these, uh, the, the church there had been very generous. They had supported uh, Paul and, and, and supported the advancement of the gospel in that area. But this church has some issues, okay, <laughs> like all churches do, all right, because it's full of people. And people, we're dumb sometimes, y'all. Y'all know that? We're, there it is. I mean, we can agree with one thing. Sometimes we're just dumb. And uh, there's obviously some, some disunity, some disagreements, some things that are going on that are distracting the church from their purpose. And I believe that everything that Paul says today applies to us in a very direct way. He gives us some great perspective. And so let's jump into this. If you got your Bible, you can turn to Philippians 2. We're gonna have the scriptures on the screen, but also uh, you can look it up on your phone or whatever it is. But Philippians 2, we'll be in the NLT today, and we're gonna read most of the chapter, take it verse by verse. So, so Paul leads this conversation about having compassion and, uh, and everything that we're gonna talk about today. He leads it with some, some questions, which I think questions are good. I think a lot of times we make statements whenever we should be asking more questions. And he starts off and he says this, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Basically what he's saying is, if following Christ has meant anything to you, has it affected you in any way, shape or form? And he asked this question, the last one, he says, are your hearts tender and compassionate? I want you to ask yourself that question right now. Is my heart tender and is my heart compassionate. Truly. I'm not talking about what comes out of your mouth. I'm talking about what's going on inside of here. Okay. What's going on inside your mind. Is there tenderness and compassion for people? Now the type of compassion that I'm talking about is the type of compassion that sees the greater need. All right. There, there's a motive in compassion and a heart of compassion isn't just to make people feel good. The motive is to help people know God. All right. Everything that Jesus did, it was fueled with this compassion to help people see who he was and to see who God was and to see the plan that God had for them. It wasn't just to make them feel good for the moment. I think that social justice has really hijacked compassion, hijacked love. The thing is, guys, is that if we don't bring Jesus to people, then what's the point? I didn't really get a lot of good support on that, making you think a little bit, I know. It's all right. What's the point? A few years on this earth with convenience and then death? No, there's a bigger picture, y'all. There's a bigger motive. It's to help people know God. Biblical compassion is fueled by the spirit of God and sees the greater need in people's lives. 
I wonder if, if the times that you have seen people that you extremely disagree with, their lifestyle, whatever it is, their political viewpoints, are you seeing the greater need in their life? For many people, they don't. They see the argument in front of them. And whenever we're, our eyes are seeing the argument, our eyes can't, can't see the need and therefore our hearts can't be fueled with compassion for people. It's an impossibility. Compassion for someone doesn't mean agreement. All right? Jesus was very compassionate for people that were diabolically opposed to everything that he stood for. Very compassionate. He loved the people that were driving the nails into his hands. He loved them dearly. And he asked God to forgive them. He didn't yell at them. He didn't argue with them. He kept his mouth shut. Paul taught and loved people who wanted to destroy him and eventually did. He loved them. He wrote letters to people that he knew would turn their backs and backstab them and, and he knew. But he kept loving, he kept having compassion. We can't confuse righteous indignation with malice towards people, y'all. I hear a lot of people, they talk about righteous indignation and, and being angry for holy things and and they, they always refer to Jesus flipping tables over, over in the temple. And like, man, Jesus, he, that's how he, he did that one time. Okay, so let's start there. And he did it in the temple where they were making a mockery of the, of the house of God. He never went in a tax collector's house and overturned his dining room table, did he? No, he never did that. That's not how he approached people. He approached people who were unbelievers from a completely different standpoint. And I believe that we're supposed to do the same. Colossians 3.12 says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It's all over scripture. The fruit of the spirit are these things. We're supposed to be clothed in these things. We, we need to have hard shells. Come on. We need to have hard shells. We need to have the armor of God on us, but we have got to maintain tender hearts. We've got to maintain soft hearts. It's a balance, it's a tension. We've got to stand for the word of God and the love of God all at the same time. I want you to think about holding compassion as a weapon, not as weakness. When somebody faces you up about something, maybe it's something going on in your family, realize that you represent Jesus. And instead of thinking that you have to come out bowed up and strong and overpower the situation, why don't you try to have the eyes to see, the compassion in your heart to see what's really going on behind the scenes? Because a lot of times, nine times out of 10, the argument, the disagreement in front of us, there's a deeper issue. And once we unlock that deeper issue, it diffuses the whole situation. We hold compassion as a weapon. It's not a place of weakness, but a place of strength. So Paul goes on in, in verse two, he says, with this, remember, basically if Jesus has made a difference in your life, if, he's, if this is real to you, he said, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. Work together, agree. He says, guys, if Jesus means anything to you, would you fight for unity between each other? Would you fight for love between each other? 
Why? Because unity and love for each other inside the church are keys to reaching people outside the church. They're key components, y'all. We, we, we can't represent Christ well if we don't love one another. I'm gonna be honest with you. How can we love our enemies if we can't love each other? Short answer, we won't. We won't. I believe that's one of the things that Jesus threw out there, love your enemies, and a lot of times we shrug that off. We shrug, we shrug it off. Because once we encounter a family member, a coworker, somebody in the community, somebody with a different political viewpoint, somebody on Facebook, right? Whenever, a lot of times, and I'm speaking in generalities, but there's this thing that rises up in, in, inside of us. And a lot of times it's not compassion, right? I'm okay with being the only one honest in the whole room today. It's fine with me, all right? I'm cool with that. It's something else. It's not from the spirit of God. We've got to love each other. Let me talk to you believers real quick. In the context of the church, you are going to be offended by somebody at some point. All right? I'm just going to go ahead and, and remove the whole facade that everything's going to go perfect. Uh, we're people. If you, if, if, if you get into contact with anybody in the church, this church, I'm talking about the body of Christ. At some point, you're gonna get offended, you're gonna disagree. Maybe some of the things I've already said you've disagreed with. And what's gonna go on is you're gonna have to make a decision of whether to buy into that offense or to basically walk away from it. You're gonna have to do it. You're gonna be offended, it's gonna happen. We're humans. But if we can't do that well, then I question the effectiveness of the body of Christ in our world. I think divorce should be like a non-conversation in the church. When two believers make a covenant to one another before God and before men, that they should follow through with that. But we don't see that all the time, do we? Now I realize there's, some, there's abuse, there, there, there's, there's you know, affairs, there's situations that do warrant certain action, but I'm talking about the times whenever it's, it's just disagreements. It's just selfishness. And you, again, you think in the church, it's not, it's not like that, but it is, but it is. And I think that we should allow ourselves to be honest about that and to allow that reality to affect us and challenge us. Me and my wife, we went through some very difficult times. First off, we had to go through immaturity, which I think is one of the, <laughs> oh gosh. All right, the first couple of years of marriage, it was terrible, super selfish. But then we, we went through some disappointments. We went through some miscarriages. We went through some things that, that just our plans kind of got rattled. And we had to choose to love one another and walk through it. Unity and love inside the church. Jesus even put a lot, of, uh, a lot of value on it. In John 13, 35, he said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So it's not just me, it's not just Paul. Jesus himself said, hey guys, look, the way that you treat each other, it matters. The way that you love one another, it matters. It will actually prove to the world that you're my disciples. If you wanna challenge this in your own life and you wanna kind of begin to put yourself out there to have to love people inside the church, I wanna give you a great opportunity and it would be to join a small group. 
to invest in people's lives, to serve one another. Some of you have reached a place in your life of health. You're really actually doing well spiritually. You're doing well relationally, financially. All of the things in your life are doing well. Man, you're walking with God. You're walking in joy and victory. And you're like, you know what? I'm good. I wanna challenge you. There's others who are not. So I wanna challenge you to, 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 to step into ministry, step into it with people and love people. He goes on, and if you thought that he was kind of challenging him up, up to this point, Paul goes on and he says this in verse three. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Paul does something here that Jesus did a lot. He actually like ups the ask. He doesn't just say, be humble. He says, I want you to think about people as better than yourself. Like, it's not good enough just to say, okay, we're on the same page. We're on the same playing field. He's like, no, I want you to actually lift up people higher than, than, than yourself. When there's a disagreement, when there's a situation, don't think about yourself. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others by winning the argument, but instead put other people above yourself. I like what C.S. Lewis says. He says, true humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Some people get wrapped up in false humility. He says, it's thinking of yourself less, <laughs> right? You know, it's not this false humility thing. It's just literally seeing other people before yourself. The point is this, what we're talking about compassion is that selfishness and compassion can't coexist. They displace one another. If you're being selfish, then you're not being compassionate. If you're being compassionate, then you're not being selfish. You see, it, you can't do both at the same time. It, doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't work like that. How do you combat selfishness? Well, something that we do is we serve other people. We serve other people. Being on a team here at this church has little to do with you, all right? It has much more to do with those who are here and who are coming. That's what service is, okay? Like, yes, when it's inconvenient and you still serve, like that's when you're really doing it. Sometimes whenever it gets inconvenient to serve, we stop serving. I'm not just talking about in the church, I'm talking about in general. But isn't that kind of the point, right? Putting yourself below someone else. Serve somebody. He keeps pressing the point about, about living selfless. In verse four, he says, don't look out only for your own interests. This is where it's gonna get pretty personal, guys. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. I wanna say something real quick. We all have interests. We all have issues. Every single one of us in this room, we have issues, we have interests, we have opinions, we have things going on, and, and they're important, okay? But we cannot just look at our own interests. We cannot just look at our own personal issues. Like, I know the finances are tough, all right? I, like, I know the kids aren't acting right. I, I, I know that school is tough right now. I know that your job isn't exactly what you want it to be. 
I know that you haven't reached goals in order to get to that next phase where you can actually begin to invest. I know, I know your marriage is tough right now. And Paul knows the same thing. He says, look, I, I know that it's tough. He said, but don't look only to your own interests, but also look to the interests of others. Put the biggest thing in your life in front of you right now and say, yes, that is, that is a legitimate concern. It's a legitimate issue, but that cannot cause me to take my eyes off of people. It can't. It's a choice, y'all. It's a choice, but it's gotta be done. Can't stop thinking of others. We have to get out and we have to, again, like I just said a while ago, we gotta get out and invest in people. Recently, we were talking about, in one of our leadership meetings, we were talking about getting in the trenches with people. And, you know, back in the day, when, whenever they were in war and these trenches, they would dig these trenches for protection and things. But what would happen is in the trench, there was disease. It was, you know, it itself, the trench itself became a point of focus that they had to deal with what was going on in the trench, let alone the war that was going on. And as we're in life and we're in war, sometimes we're in trenches. People get in trenches. We can't just idly stand next to them in the trench with a bleeding leg and watch them bleed out. We can't. And what I'm telling you is something that also challenges me. Because you go through phases in life, you know what I'm talking about? You go through months where, where all of a sudden you're like, man, I've been so selfish. I've just been thinking about myself. And you realize how many people have I walked by? How many conversations did I not engage in? How many people did I not pray for? How many opportunities did I not take? We have got to continue to spend our life on people, y'all. And then Paul throws the trump card in verse five. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And look, listen, church, when it comes to people, we've got to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus had. We have to. Don't be swayed and influenced by people whose attitudes are not like Jesus. Okay? I think one of the biggest issues right now is really when it comes to politics. Y'all, I'm gonna be honest. I feel like a lot of people in the church know the Constitution much better than they know the Bible. Much better. Well, article this and this over here and by 1935 and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, Jesus said, love your enemies. He, he did? You know, you know what I'm saying? And so what happens is we're having conversations with people and they're shaping our, our thinking, they're shaping our compassion, they're shaping the way that we view humanity through a political lens. And that is contrary to what the Bible has to offer. And I'm saying this because it's just everything's so heated right now. And some of you, you could care less. I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I turned off the news and everything a long time ago. <laughs> Why? Because I was getting so mad. I was getting so angry. One thing would happen and it'd be like, Pah! you know? 
And I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, man, it's because, it's because I've been watching and listening to the news so much. I'm like, I've been seeing such negativity. And then what happens is my faith starts relying upon some sort of governmental system versus the kingdom of God. Y'all, the kingdoms of this world will fall. It's already happened many, many times. If you think that America is so incredible, we've only been around for a, you know, a couple hundred years, few hundred years. We haven't been around that long. What's going on in America is no different than what's happened in other places all throughout history. We're just ignorant of history. God is our hope, y'all. What did Jesus do? Jesus spent everything. He spent everything for mankind. He spent everything for people. And the reality for us is this, is that the more that we're willing to give, the more that we're willing to spend on people and on the kingdom of God, the more fruit that we'll be able to produce. And contrary to that is the opposite. It's the less that we're willing to give is the less that fruit that we'll bear. It's a choice. Giving of your life is an act of worship. Giving of your time is an act of worship. Giving of your money is an act of worship. Spending your life on people is an act of worship. Recently, I heard a pastor talk, he was talking to men and he was challenging men to spend their lives, like literally spend your life, your energy on your family and on the kingdom of God. He said, you know what's wrong with men nowadays? They go to bed they go to bed not tired. <laughs> I loved it because sometimes I go to bed and I'm not tired. He said, men, when you come home from work and you walk in the, the doors of your house and your wife's there with the kids, he said, your job has just started. He's like, you think you're tired. He said, but take care of the needs of your family. Take care of the needs of your wife. Spend yourself, wring yourself out every drop that you have to give to your family. And then when everybody else is settled, then you go to bed last. And that might not work for your context, I understand, but, but take that mindset and apply that to your life. We are wringing ourselves out, guys, or we should be for the cause of Christ. We should be. It's the, it's the great commission, but I'm gonna be honest about myself, there's a lot of times that I'm wringing myself out for selfish gain. I'm wringing myself out thinking about my own thing, my own stuff. And that's not what Jesus did. We're supposed to have the same attitude as Jesus had and he wrung himself out for humanity. Why did he do this? And how did he do this? Philippians 2, six through eight says, though he was God, Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus spent it all and he spent it all for humanity and he spent it all for us. Jesus didn't come just to do good things. He didn't come just to, to be a good person or just to be a good example. He didn't come to start some sort of 
social justice movement. He didn't come to do that. He wasn't an activist. Jesus was a savior, okay? And he has created a way through his death on the cross where there was no way to offer each and every one of us grace and mercy and eternal life. And I don't know why all of you are here today. Like, I don't know if you came as a believer to come and fellowship with other believers and worship together and, and come to, to be encouraged by the word or, or maybe today be challenged by the word. Or maybe you're here just because somebody drug you out, right? Like everything I'm saying, you don't really believe any of it, but you came with a friend and you're just ready to leave right now. Maybe you, you tend to believe it, but it's more of a religious thing. It's more of, it's Sunday morning, so I gotta go to church. The thing is, is, is that no matter where you're coming from, the word of God applies to each and every one of us. All of these verses that I just read, they apply to us wherever we are at on the spectrum of belief, the spectrum of our journey and walk with God. For some of you, you're a believer and, and you need to be challenged in your compassion for others. You need to be challenged to have eyes to see the need in order to step out. Some of you, you, need to, you, you've been challenged to take your eyes off of yourself. Maybe you've just been doing do's and don'ts with Christianity. And today you realize that you've been more caught up in rules and religion than you have relationship with the real God. And others of you, you're a non-believer. You're kicking the tires. You're not really sure if you believe any of this and how this applies. But the great thing is that the Holy Spirit is speaking to every single one of us in this place. So I want us all to bow our heads and close our eyes. And simply, this is just so that we can think about our own life, not fall asleep, not disconnect, but think about our lives, think about where we're at in our journey and allow God to search our hearts. Just open yourself up right now. Say, God, would you search me? Those of you who are believers, God, would you show me where I haven't been compassionate? Maybe you've been in a religious lifestyle and today you need to repent of just doing the do's and the don'ts, but not seeking the face of God. You know, you know what's real and what's not. And, and it's more just been about your actions versus leaning into God and, and seeking him. And others of you today, right now, you are, you're a non-believer, but today, you wanna say yes to follow Jesus. The beauty about what God does is, is that he is the one that draws all men to repentance. He is the one, his spirit, that's what the Bible says. So even though I might've been talking about something completely different for you the whole time you've been, you've been getting dealt with, you've been getting convicted and you know that there's something different than, than what you're living for right now. And I wanna give you the opportunity to say yes to follow Jesus today. And it's very simple. Nothing's complicated about salvation. God created the world. Man chose, they chose sin over God. And because of that, we've all been born with a sinful nature. We've all been born separate from God. And God wanted to make a way back to him. And so he sent his son, Jesus, to this earth to live a perfect life so he could die a death and pay the price, the penalty for all of us 
because we deserved it. And because of that, all we have to do is believe and confess that Jesus is Lord and God changes us from the inside out. So if that's you, I wanna say a prayer right now. And if that's you, I want you to agree with it. Say, God, I'm, I'm standing right here. I'm sitting right here before you. God, I'm asking for you to forgive me of all my sin, to cleanse me from all the unrighteous ways that I've been living, the unrighteous thinking. And God, right now, I turn from that way of living. I turn from that way of thinking. I repent and I turn to you. God, I ask that you would redeem me, that you would fill me with your spirit, fill me with your life. Help me to live a life that is for your glory, not my own. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for redeeming me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time. Thank you.